0: Anytime that we feel a sense of overwhelm, our nervous system is struggling to cope with the level of stress that's happening in our environment. And we feel overwhelmed and we feel a loss of a sense of control. We begin to move into these states of activation. Our subconscious really takes over and begins to to develop these different strategies to manage with this high state of activation, which is the ripple effects of trauma. So I think the first piece is beginning to recognize that some of our behaviors are stemming from trauma and that it doesn't mean that we're broken. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us. It just means, oh, There's something here that would be really helpful for us to explore, so that we can regain our sense of freedom and our capacity for intimacy.
1: Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. I will live every day as if there were a microphone tucked under my tongue. It's great to get in the game,
0: but don't get in the game until you understand the rules Till you're an insider. If life changes when you begin having a different conversation in your head.
1: What we need to do in radically deep problems is propose radically visionary solutions. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters, and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement, or a nation. Now, here's today's question How do you respond to transformational tension? You know, those moments that form the space in between what we were and what we're becoming. The information that we had access to and what we know now. That usually deeply uncomfortable place where we can feel the change coming, but we don't yet know what the new horizon is going to look like. Most of us in those moments, we choose from a few responses. We either freeze, remain still so that the threat won't find us. We fight. Start kicking and thrashing, either literally or metaphorically, or we bolt. We bolt and we isolate ourselves from the herd until hopefully the threat has passed. And in that sense, in many ways, we're not so different from any other creature on the planet. Apart from one important aspect, and that is that we as human beings, we have the capacity to first get curious and then decide how exactly how we choose to respond in those moments. Now, in today's episode, we are going to be talking amongst many things about learning to sit with transformational tension, learning to stay curious enough until we have enough information to deliberately and consciously make our next move. And to do that, I get to welcome back one of my favorite guests from the podcast, also one of our most popular guests on the podcast. Coel Simpson is one of the most highly regarded horse whisperers on the planet. A world-renowned coach and leader of Equus coaching movement, her work has been featured on O Magazine, Oprah's Magazine, BBC Business Report, The National Journal, The O Network. She is also a TED speaker, as well as appearing on many other stages all around the world. Since 2006, the Coel Institute has worked with individuals and Fortune 500 organizations all over the world to create transformational leadership experiences, all by using the lens of her journey as a horse whisperer to decode the silent language of authority. Now, why silent? Why the silent language of authority? Well, when it comes to building trust with a wild horse, all the best sales or leadership language in the world is not going to help. Charm and charisma don't work and raising your voice generally has the complete opposite effect. Horses are listening to one thing and one thing alone, your presence, your ability to show up fully and yet with a calm intent, your ability to wait and hold space and yet still trust that you will lead the charge when it counts get it wrong, panic, overcompensate, and you may well meet the wrong end of 1,000 pounds of muscle as instant feedback. Which is why when I first came across the work of Coel and the world of horse whispering and the lessons it has to teach us about leadership and the presence of great leaders, I had to know more. And one of the pleasures of having people on the podcast a second time is that I can let the conversation go organically wherever it needs to go. We've already covered the foundations in the first conversation and this conversation, we can just sit with whatever the conversation wants to take place. And today it wanted to touch on these things, dealing with transformational tension honoring the space in between becoming, you know, what we are and where we are now, including all the triggers and instinctive responses that come with that. The importance of a healthy herd, what that looks like in nature and what that has to teach us about cohesion. You know, we are at a place in the planet right now where we need all the lessons we can get about how to build a healthy herd both in our community, in our society, in our nations and at the world at large. And nature is one of the most interesting places to look for those lessons. How to stay curious and notice when we're activated. This is a huge one. I love the language activated because once we figure out, once a trigger kicks in and we're like, oh, okay, I'm activated. There's energy here. Then we can choose a response in alignment with the person or leader we want to become her own experiences after a recent life-changing surgery, including her surrender and the perspectives that that gave her. And some of those quite literally took my breath away. And finally, how to use your body to create a sense of calm and safety, how to hold yourself in that way. And this is important, doing it first for yourself and then for those around you. I, I also murder some research on the mother tree phenomenon, <laughs> apologies to any experts out there. We're going to be putting some links in the show notes if you're interested in that research. Please, please, please check those out. Don't listen to me. It's a fascinating field. In terms of what I took from this episode, you know, I can't say that it was a lesson or a tool really, more so just being in Coel's presence. You know, the, the only word which I can use for that is just profound. Both times I have had the pleasure of being in her company and there's just this stillness about her, which I'm sure you'll notice, this stillness and this sense of calm and deep, deep respect. And that is one which I would love to have more of in my own life. And maybe it's because words have never been her primary tool of influence or that having been profoundly deaf for most of her life, she had to learn how to communicate purely through the presence of her being either way. It's louder than any words I've ever heard. And trust me, I have heard a lot. So what I've been thinking about since this conversation is this. Maybe that's the key. If we just stopped trying to find the right words for just a moment, if we lowered the volume of the constant tidal wave of noise that surrounds us and our interactions every day, maybe we could actually feel the impact of our presence as a leader, a mentor, And as a parent, and if we could feel it, maybe we could consciously start to create the type of presence that we want to have, because if there is a muscle of influence worth strengthening, I 100% believe that the presence and the space that you hold is it. Now, for those of you who have some big visions for 2022 and are looking for a kickstart as a hot off the press announcement, well, it's about a week old, but I'm going with hot off the press. I will be running my last ever live Rapid Authority Masterclass. I run these Rapid Authority Masterclasses a couple of times a year. It's pretty much the only live public offering that I put into the marketplace. The rest of everything else that I do is behind closed doors with organizations, CEOs, thought leaders. This will be live. It will be virtual. So you can tune in from anywhere on the planet, assuming that you can make the time zones work and we will do our best to make that happen. Why is it my last ever? Well, that's for another announcement, but some very cool things coming up next year. So if you want to make sure you're on the wait list, um, we will be opening the doors probably in the next couple of weeks. Make sure you're on the wait list. Head to my website, juliemasters.com, register your details and you will be the first to know. Also, don't forget my newsletter, Influence Insider, which gives you one bite-sized tool, strategy, or mindset shift per week. I keep them short. I keep them practical, all on the topic of building a more influential life. Once again, hop onto my website to become an insider. However, for now, grab whatever caffeinated beverage you're into at the moment, or just plug in and hit the road safely of course, and enjoy my second and hopefully not my last conversation with the incredible Coel Simpson. Welcome back to the podcast, Coel Simpson. Thank you. It's such a joy to be here with you. Oh, it's such a joy to have you back. To have you back. You know, we were we were talking as a team about what we wanted to do this year and who we wanted to talk to and who we wanted to invite. And it was an overwhelming, um it was an overwhelming vote to see if you you'd come back on the podcast. So it's such a joy to have you here.
0: Thank you. That's so sweet to hear that. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's always it's always such a gift to me when we get to come together for these conversations and just explore, you know, come to understand the world a little bit more and what's happening in our environments a little bit more. I just, I continue to f- recognize that I feel such an interesting sense of sometimes overwhelm about this timeframe that we're living in and also a sense of deep gratitude of like, Wow we, you know, we get to be alive during this time when so many things are in a time of major transition and reckoning and exploration and new discovery. And so thank you, you know, for the opportunity to be here with you, spend time together and and to explore some juicy conversations. And I...
1: I completely feel what you're saying about it being that duality, right? That friction between the two places. On the one hand, it's moving so fast. It's all moving so fast. It's all going in different directions. There's so many different opinions. There's so many different voices, so many different tools. There's so many things moving at a speed that neither we nor governments nor regulation nor nor even the media can keep up with right now or harness. But on the other hand, you know, the, the natural energy and potential and opportunity that comes out of that and exploration that comes out of that is, is just mind blowing. It's just mind blowing. And it becomes, for me, it becomes a question of the the largest currency I have is my attention and where I place it. You know, do I place it on exploration do i place it on certain types of exploration do i place it on these conversations on conversations that are held in this way on these people there's there's so much now we used to have we used to have filters given to us you know the government would filter things for us the media would filter things for us our community our churches would filter things for us and it's like all the the external filters have been lifted now and that's a blessing and a curse and we have to learn how to filter For ourselves, which I think this is the first time in human history we've really had to do that at the speed and the volume at which we have to do it.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. And I think for a lot of people, it's also recognizing that there has been a filter, you know, just even realizing that so much of the information that we receive comes through very specific filters and structures that we're born into that are given to us. Um, perspectives and cultural ways of being and belief systems. And when we start to come into a state of realizing, oh, you know, there's a diverse array of of structures and perspectives out there and, you know, how am I going to navigate? And for me, uh, just given my background and my relationship with, with animals and with nature, They've always been that guiding light for me. Um, And I feel such a sense of excitement and a sense of calm when I look to the natural world and I see that, you know, for some people, they may look at, let's say, a natural landscape and they just see, you know, plants and shrubs and trees and vines. And it just looks maybe to them like chaos. And it's like everything's, you know exploring and, and nurturing and taking care of itself. And it looks like total chaos. But when we get curious and we pay closer attention, we realize that there is an entire harmony of relationships that are happening. And within that chaos, there is a greater intelligence and structure in which all of these different relationships start to form um, Kind of a language of reciprocity. And when you look to the natural world, you know, there isn't this dialogue that says, um, you have to be uh successful. Uh, media person or lawyer or doctor or uh, researcher. You have to earn a certain income or look a certain way or have a certain skin type or come from a a certain location. They're living in an environment where there's immense diversity. And there is a certain amount that you know, as sort of this free flowing, what may appear to be chaos, but it's the forming of a lot of diverse relationships that to me makes up a network of stability and a a way of being that is about reciprocity so that, you know, we start to form this, this very diverse universal village of how we function, how we live together. I just love that language.
1: I'm just sitting with that language, the language of network of stability. That because often, you know, we look at our network, and, and often our networks are the most chaotic things in our life, right? You know, we we strive for stability. We strive for you know a straight line, preferably upwards, in terms of our lives and careers and. And it's often our network that that is the chaos. You know, it's something happens with a family member, something goes on at work, the economy changes, you know, everything that we're connected to can feel chaotic. And, you know, if we could just focus, then we'd be able to do, you know, get done what we want to get done. And the idea of a network of stability is really interesting to me and what, and what that could look like. And, another part of what you said there, which I wanted to dive into, which is there's no governing body. You know, there's no, there's no governing body walking around nature, handing out, you know, speeding tickets or, um, you know, commentating as the media would. And yet one of the most fascinating things about me and something I really want to dive into you into with you today is there is leadership within nature. There is definitely leadership. And, I found out something fascinating recently. I don't know if you've heard of this concept of the mother tree. So the research that's being done and finding that, you know, there's within forests and and woodland areas there is, they call it the mother tree, and, and the mother tree communicates via root systems with all of the other trees in the local vicinity and can even kill other trees that come along that threaten her young or threaten her tribe by adjusting the the makeup of the soil, by adjusting a whole bunch of things. But the idea that there's leadership there, you know, you look at the trees and you, and you don't feel like there's a network of stability, but there is. There's a network of stability and there is leadership. And what we can learn from the natural order of that of stabilizing networks, stabilizing our herd, our tribe, and showing leadership within it
0: you know i i loved discovering the the research and the stories about the mother tree as well and i was just like oh this is such a validating um piece of of information that we're coming to understand finally but i think it really um it speaks to the importance of having really um a safe uh thriving village of relationships so to speak and being able to have good relationship with our with our elders you know that's kind of what's happening in the forest is that 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 older um mother tree has seen and experienced a lot and is providing that incredible amount of information including nourishment to for the betterment of the forest and um You know, really, we have the ability to keep evolving and keep uh, enabling each other to stand on the shoulders of giants to improve our ability to navigate through the world and how to um, how to inhabit a life that enables us to thrive. Now, that all sounds wonderful. We've been going through in my personal opinion, we've been going through a time period that has been extraordinarily challenging for us to feel safe in human relationships. Most of the trauma that we experience is inflicted on us by other human beings. Um, And that's not necessarily intentional. For the most part, people really are doing the best they can with what they have, with what they've learned, the way that they've been raised, how they've been taught. It goes back to those those, um, filters and structures that we don't even know we're living within. What's the foundational move there
1: that you have that you have seen and witnessed? I know you've worked with a lot of people who have undergone significant trauma through the work that you do with horses. I know you've worked with a lot of horses that have gone through significant trauma. What's the first what's the first part there of repairing a healthy relationship with the herd
0: there's There's two things that come to mind. One is becoming aware. That a lot of what we're experiencing and a lot of our behaviors are a coping strategy to trauma. So most often people don't realize that um, their impulse for uh excessive shopping or the inclination to, you know, uh to soothe with alcohol or um you know, seeking one relationship after the next after the next or isolating you know, feeling a sense of a strong sense of shame, a strong sense of inadequacy. all of these things are really strong indicators. They're sort of like these little warning alarm bells that let us know that somewhere along the way there was a challenging and traumatic event. Now most people don't often think, when they, when they hear the word trauma, they think of a major accident. They think of war, um, you know, maybe, uh, a death in the family, something like that. But the truth is, is that any time that we feel a sense of overwhelm, our nervous system is struggling to cope with the level of stress that's happening in our environment and we feel overwhelmed and we feel a loss of a sense of control we begin to move into these states of activation and our our subconscious really takes over and begins to, to develop these different strategies to manage with this high state of activation which is the ripple effects of trauma so i think the first piece is beginning to recognize that some of our behaviors um, are stemming from trauma and that it doesn't mean that we're broken. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us. Um, It just means, oh, there's something here that would be really helpful for us to explore so that we can regain our sense of freedom and our capacity for intimacy. Now, The other piece that's really important here in getting started in this process for ourselves is discovering what we need to form one safe relationship. We are highly social animals. Our nervous systems are designed to co-regulate with each other. And we, despite the cultural message that we're born into, we really can't do this alone. We were never meant to do this alone. And when we try, it doesn't work out all that well. We can isolate and we can try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, you know, we can dig into our willpower and our sense of perseverance, but it comes at a great cost. And so we have to start to get curious about, hmm, what enables me to feel a sense of safety with someone and allow ourselves to open up to form one safe relationship.
1: I heard a beautiful quote yesterday, actually on the radio that said, love's other name is understanding. And I just thought, I'm going to keep that because I can easily fall into the trap of doing, you know, love's love's other name is doing. What should we do? What did you do? What should we do? What should they have done? What What can we do about it? And, you know, love's other name is understanding. It's just, uh, as you've said, you know, I'm here, I'm here, I've got you, I've, you know, it's sitting silently with somebody in the rubble and just sitting and just sitting with them. Um, I've seen you, I've seen your work many times. Um, and one of the things I've seen you do so beautifully through years and years and years of practice and feeling into it is use your body which is a lot of what you're talking about here you know how to use your body with somebody it's not the words that you say it's how you use your body and when you're working with horses you really you only have your body you only have the spatial distance between the two of you and how you use it what have you what have you learned about creating a sense of safety through your body
0: our our bodies are processing so much more information than our verbal conscious minds are and if we can really allow ourselves to acknowledge that, then we can begin to realize like, hmm, it's pretty worthwhile to be curious about what we're feeling inside our own bodies and what we're sensing this, this overall feeling state of what we're sensing when we notice somebody else's body. So. When I'm working with a client or I'm working with another animal or with a horse, it's the very first thing I'm looking to do is create and support an environment of safety. So, you know, sometimes that starts with just noticing breathing. What would enable you to feel a sense of safety? And how is it for you to just feel that I'm here with you? What is that like for you to just share some of the things you've said to me and just know that I'm here and I'm listening. Now beginning to build that relational experience between our our bodies and our presence with one another.
1: You're reminding me of a one of the most powerful gifts I was ever given around my uh, feeling into my own feelings and acknowledging where I was at and my ability to be able to relate to somebody else and the connection between the two. And I grew up in a household where, you know, it was a, it was a beautiful household, but anger was not, a, was not an emotion that was spoken about, discussed or recognized in any other way than, you know, the, the slamming of doors and the other noises other than words. And so anger was a really hard one for me to tap into and verbalize. I think I was in my early thirties and I was in a situation with somebody that I loved and I felt like they were threatened in some way. And I got really angry and tipped over the edge and verbalized it very loudly and kind of scared myself, verbalized it very loudly with somebody else in the dynamic. And luckily it was somebody who I still hold is very close to me now. And he looked at me and he said, that. And I was just like blood boiling steam coming out of my ears. And he looked at me and he said, you know, that, that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with me. Being able to witness how much you love this person and how fierce you are in their defense was something incredible to watch. Thank you for bringing all of it. And I was just, I was literally speechless. I was the thing that I had feared the most, which was letting go of the reins of how I was feeling had been not only welcomed, but admired by somebody else, you know, the sense of safety. And I've never forgotten it as a tipping point for me that this part of myself that I had considered to be, you know, completely unlovable, the angry part could be welcomed by somebody else could be met with a sense of safety And so I've, since then, I've always tried to hold that container. It's not always easy, but tried to hold that container for somebody else.
0: I'm so glad to hear that you had that transformative experience because, oh my goodness, it's powerful. You know, we typically just as a species in general, we don't have a very good relationship with our anger and it for a lot of people, very similar to your story, come from a family environment where it's not okay to express your anger. Um, and for other people, they may come from a very uh a family environment that was very expressive with their anger, and everybody was spewing anger everywhere, but nobody was listening. so you know anger in its earliest stages. Is this fantastic emotion that is letting us know that we have a need or we have a boundary? Either we have a need that's not being met or we have a boundary that's being crossed. And it starts, you know, with this feeling of a little bit of agitation and then it starts to build into something a little bit hotter and a little bit warmer until we get to full blown anger and sometimes full blown rage. When we start to realize like, oh, there's something valuable here in the anger and we have courage to begin to express it with each other. And you have someone, you know, like your the the gentleman that you mentioned who was able to listen and receive your anger and not see it as a, a, a threat or an expression of rejection or, you know, take, take it on as personal.
1: Well, that's the fear, right? You know, that that had always been my fear. And as it was coming out of my mouth at the time, I, I remember distinctly thinking, okay, well, that's, this is this broken now. Like I'm about to break it. This is my anger only breaks things.
0: That's right. And from your, it sounds like, you know, from your early background, your childhood background, that that was potentially that sort of unspoken message that anger is, isn't acceptable, it's, it's not expressed here. And if it is, it means that something's broken or something's going to break. And for a lot of people, there is a tremendous amount of fear around our anger or witnessing or experiencing somebody else's anger. And when we have the courage to get curious and just commit to staying with it a little bit longer and exploring it a little bit more, we can really transform our relationship to anger and recognize that it's an expression of a need or it's an expression of a boundary. And if we can begin to communicate about it a lot earlier than when it reaches that red hot zone, it doesn't become so destructive, doesn't become so so painful. One of the things I love about what your friend was sharing with you when when we saying thank you, thank you so much for that passion and hearing you express yourself that way, is that we can finally feel each other when we include our anger and our irritability and our frustrations and our when we include all of the emotions, we can feel each other. I want to talk about the the concept of a healthy herd
1: because I feel like You know, I woke up this morning to more protests on this side of the world. I I read my newspaper on my morning walk and there was more protests on your side of the world. And I feel like there's a very solidly needed conversation to be had right now about what a healthy herd looks like, its ingredients, individual contributions, and the leadership container that it requires. And, you know, you have spent a lifetime studying that in nature when it works and when it doesn't work and then how to repair it. So let's just talk about, you know, what what is a healthy herd? What does a healthy herd look, feel, sound like?
0: It's such a good question and we're coming from kind of a long backlog, as I said, of, of, of trauma and things not being expressed. So what I experience right now when I look at the world around me and I try to make sense of it is that in a way, the pendulum is sort of swinging in a, a, on a big scale, so to speak, after being held back for so long. Now, there's a lot of um, people that have been marginalized. There's a lot of people whose voices have not been heard. There's a, there are many, many people who have felt, um, unseen and who have been treated unfairly. And so as a result, we have a lot of anger. We have a lot of anger in the atmosphere. There are a lot of needs that have not been acknowledged or honored or responded to, and there are a lot of boundaries that have been crossed. So now we're just starting to voice them, right? Like we're starting um, all the different populations are really beginning to communicate to say, "Hey, this is so not working for me. <laughs> you know I'm really not happy with this environment. This is not working." And right now it's it's noisy. you know there's a lot of expression of anger happening all over the place, and for me, when I see it, one part of me recognizes okay this is good this is really good because we're finally reaching the place where a lot of these the you know populations and individuals that haven't felt like they could have a voice are at least beginning to feel safe enough to express their voices
1: and that's part of the beauty of what we were talking about early on in this conversation as well you know the the dichotomy the tension between the two that this is a period of time where suddenly all voices can be heard There are platforms and tools available with the digital world that mean that all voices can be heard. On the other hand, Oh my God, all voices can be heard. That's a lot of sound.
0: It's a a lot of sound. The thing that's, that's I think really needed is for each of us to cultivate our capacity for empathy right now for empathy and curiosity and to allow, you know, your, your, going back to your example of your friend when you got really angry and you were, you know, in the expression of deep passion and standing your, you know, communicating your stance. Um, For him to have stayed engaged, to not just flee the situation, to stay there, to stay curious, to feel you, to see you, to want to empathize with you. It is, a, it is a conscious choice. Once we start to move through our very sort of knee-jerk trauma responses, and you know, when we have one or two safe relationships in our environment and we, we feel like, okay, at least somebody gets us and we can, you know, feel some level of safety from there we have to make a conscious choice to choose connection over being right you know and that's about developing our capacity for empathy and our curiosity to want to understand each other right now because so many people have felt unheard um on varying different levels the conversation is about who's right you know let me tell you and let me discuss about which is the right perspective that we should have here and i i hear that more as just that need to really get a lot of repressed anger um out you know get it off our chest and find a way to be expressed and that deep need to be seen to be understood but it takes, it takes a lot of maturity. It takes a lot of courage to say, you know, I'm not going to focus so much on being right. I'm going to make a real choice to choose connection and see what's actually needed here for us to to get a little bit closer to each other and to feel safe enough doing it. And what do we need to cultivate that environment of safety, so that we can begin to restore and repair trust with one another?
1: There's a it's a quote that somebody gave me once, and it's one of those quotes that that you know is true, but that you hate hearing, and that you know every time you say it again in your head, you you hate it just equally as you did the first time you heard it. And that is, you know, do you want to be right, or do you want to be in relationship? And you're right. It's a choice. It's a choice in every in every interaction, in every moment, regardless of the closeness of the relationship from your life partner to your family, to a colleague at work, to the world at large. You know, Do you want to be right or do you want to be in relationship? And if you want to be in relationship, what kind of relationship do you want to be in? And what does that container look like? And what would you need to hold for that to be true? And that takes... And a a level of choice and responsibility that is really hard. That is really hard because quite frankly, I love being right. It feels really good because I'm wrong often enough. So in those moments where I know that I'm right, it feels great. And to let that go takes a deep, deep commitment to what you want to create.
0: Yeah. I want to offer that. It might just be kind of shifting our lens of perspective into recognizing that we get to have our own experience. Now, so coming back to the animal world again, if you take the experience of an elephant, so much of their life is based on scent, scent and vibration. And their experience of the world around them in their perspective is going to be completely different than the fish eagle. You know, the fish eagle that's flying over the savannas and the bushveld and seeing a very different vantage point, and its sense of smell is going to be quite different from the elephant. Right? And so we each get to have our own experiences, our own, you know, life journey that has informed us and provided us with a unique experience. Um, I'm thinking of a conversation I had with someone a few weeks ago, we were sitting down to dinner and they started asking me some questions about a, you know, a project I was working on and, Developing some curriculum for supporting people that have been through trauma, and this was a someone who made a comment to me, and they said, "Um, oh, you know, I'm so glad you're doing that because because then people can can take up their sense of responsibility and my just sort of my head just kind of cocked sideways when I heard that, and I was like oh that's a that's so strange." I would, I would have never used that word. And they said to me, Oh, what did I say something you didn't like? And I said, well, you know, I just noticed that I, I really don't resonate with that perspective of, of someone who's been through a lot of trauma who just needs to suddenly take responsibility for their behaviors. Um, I think I can understand where you're coming from, but it's, it's not, it's not how I relate to the, to, to what I'm doing. And they said, well, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with that? You know, real sort of combative, conf- conflictive, what's wrong with what I said? Um, what's wrong with people learning to grow up and take responsibility for their behaviors? And I just took a minute and thought, okay, you know, we're coming from really different perspectives. So what I later. Um, came to understand was that this person on the other side of the dinner table had dealt with a challenging relationship where they had invested in this person going through a lot of therapy that wasn't terribly effective. And it was a very frustrating experience um, for them. Uh, And they felt like, you know, they came away with just this feeling of this person just needs to you know this kid just needs to grow up and and get, you know, some tough love and then things will get better. And so I thought, okay, I can understand why you feel that way. You know, when you don't you don't have an understanding of the depths of what's going on and from your perspective, it's just seeing an irresponsible kid who's taking advantage while you're shoveling out lots of money for therapy and it's not working. And so I chose in a way to kind of go towards the fish eagle so to speak and see like what what in the world is that perspective like for you? Can you tell me why you feel that way? And then hopefully there's some willingness to listen, you know, on the other side to reciprocate that ability to listen, which is you know, if if you can hold some curiosity <laughs> we used to think In the in the medical field, we used to think that the way that you heal people is to cut them open and just let them bleed. You know, if we could bleed them out, then eventually they're gonna get better, right? We've learned a lot about health. We've learned a lot in medicine. Well, the same is happening in the world of therapy right now and in the field of psychology. We are learning so much about the ripple effects of trauma and how to work with it in more effective ways. And so you know i began to share a little bit of that research and understanding of how it impacts our brains how it impacts our behaviors and some of those core pieces that we need to be able to restore our capacity for healing and transform some of these events that have happened in our lives so you know all of this full circle to we could have taken a stance of i know better i'm right And each of us has had a history and an experience and, you know, firsthand experience that would have justified that feeling and that stance of I'm right. But if we kind of just allow ourselves to both acknowledge and get to have ownership over our experiences and stay curious, we can find the points where we can connect
1: there's something in there around the word curiosity for me because, and it links back to what you said before about being activated, that just beautiful word, being activated. When we are activated, when we, when we tune into what happens when we get activated, what does my body do? What does, what does my voice do? What do I immediately want to say when I'm activated? And when you start, but when you start to feel that kick in, what happens is our curiosity leaves the building. Like, as soon as you're activated, you're curious. Like, the frontal part of your brain shuts down, the primitive part kicks in. The primitive part of your brain is not curious. The primitive part of your brain is fight, flight, freeze. So, is a, it feels like a big part of this is the ability to be able to notice when we are activated, either take a step back or take a moment back away until we can reactivate our curiosity and then come back in. Now, if you can do that in the moment, fantastic. If you need a walk, great. If you need 24 hours, great. But to learn to be able to back off when that activation starts, as soon as we cease to be curious, okay, well, whoa, this is this is my cue that there's a better way for me to do this, and I'm not going to show up the way that I hope to show up right now.
0: I'm so glad that you brought that up. It's spot on. And we, the way that our nervous systems work, um, it just sort of really hijacks our conscious verbal ability to stay engaged and you know, communicate maybe in the ways that we would wish to when we're more calm. Um, when our bodies become activated and we feel some sense of threat, we start moving in a way uh, on an autopilot uh, where we're just trying to cope with and deal with the threat. So, the most important thing is to keep asking ourselves the question, you know, noticing the signs and signals when we do feel activated and asking ourselves the question, what do we need to feel a sense of safety in this moment? Because enabling us to realize that we're either we need to change up the environment and we need to go outside or we feel connected to nature or we need to squeeze our partner's hand or our friend's hand and know that we have somebody that's on our side um you know or we need to hear the sounds of the birds singing outside and and just know that there's a whole another world that's happening that's bigger than our own whatever it is that enables us to start to feel a sense of safety our nervous system can then downregulate back into that parasympathetic rest and digest function. And when we're in that place, then we have access to curiosity. Um, But you're spot on that when, when we're not, it's just, it's just not even in the building. It's just not there.
1: Even that term rest and digest, you know, the ability to be able to digest somebody else, like digest somebody else's ideas to digest somebody else's perspective. You can't do that either at a physical level with food or at an intellectual level with ideas when when you're in that state. And also, what a beautiful question for parenting. You know, what does this tiny human, large human, middle aged human <laughs> need to feel safe right now? Like, what, regardless of the words that are coming out of their mouth, what do they need to feel safe right now so that I can model for them? Or what do I need to feel? That's just occurred to me. What do I need to feel safe right now and not panic for them or about whatever situation they've brought to me? so that i can digest what they're saying and model for them a place of calm and curiosity about the situation um i think that's one of the hardest things as a parent which you know i've been asked before why i bring up parenting on this podcast i've been asked why i bring up many things on this podcast and for me there's a through line through through all things but parenting very strongly you know how you show up as a parent how you lead or influence a small person is exactly how you show up as a leader in your larger life with everybody you come across
0: it is our relationship patterns whether we're work, whether we're connecting with our children or spouse or our colleague at work there are a lot of patterns that are consistent across the board so when we get curious about one we're going to learn about them all
1: And it's a great mirror with kids, I find, because a kid will let you, it's the same, you know, you, you, your work with horses, a child will let you know immediately if you've just got it wrong. Whereas adults in general, we tend to internalize more. We, you know, you might find out you get it, you got it wrong a week from now. You might find out you got it wrong a year from now, but with kids, you know, like right then and there that you approached that wrong.
0: (laughs) Yes. They haven't learned to, um, try to uphold that social filter for, for fear that they're going to lose you. You know, they, they're more connected and still more engaged with the the rawness of their emotions in the moment. And I have to say, I'm, I'm absolutely, uh, in love with The attachment theory work and understanding um, the way that we form connections in our early relationships, most especially with our primary caretakers. And it's not about being able to always show up perfectly as a parent, that just is kind of impossible. Um, But when we start to understand that need for consistency and stability, And letting the child know that no matter what they're feeling, no matter what they're experiencing, that you're there, you know, you're not going anywhere, that you still love them, that you're, that you're there with them. And it's okay to just have the experience that they're having. And you'll be right here on the other side of it.
1: I want to, I want to just tie what we're talking about now into leadership and leadership in whatever capacity you lead, whether you lead a family, whether you lead a team, whether you lead a, a multi-million-dollar organization, and and just look at what that what that looks like in its true essence, what that looks like in nature. So when you see a herd, and every herd has has a leader. I'm I'm assuming from you know our past conversations. Does that is that leader innate? Is that leader chosen? How does that, How does that leadership come about?
0: Well, I don't think that leadership is just innate. I think it is a skill set that we definitely develop. And for some of us, there's more of an inclination towards it than others. know, for some of us are just natural characteristics are very curious about and inclined and engaged in wanting to bring people together, wanting to, you know, explore where we're going and, um, and help to provide a framework for that. And so some people are just very naturally inclined for some of those skill sets, but it is something that we learn how to do. We learn it by example and we learn it through, you know, stumbling around and trying something and then realizing, oh gosh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't really showing up with good vulnerability and empathy and listening in that moment. I was just trying to make something happen and, you know, push it down people's throats. And so we do learn hopefully from our mistakes. And that's one of the things that is, you know, a hallmark of, of any great leaders that they, they keep testing and trying things and growing and learning and evolving themselves so that they can continue to show up within the herd, so to speak, um, and in a more effective fashion. But I think one of the, the pieces that's, that's so beautiful about when we look at leadership is that it's not about showing up to be perfect or having all the answers or knowing what to do every time or knowing what to do at any time. (laughs) It's more about being able to be completely ourselves and to be able to be comfortable with conflict and tension and vulnerability. Now, I don't see leadership as one person at the top of a pyramid that makes all the decisions. I see leadership as when I look to the natural world, I see it as a incredible exchange of all of our unique gifts and then structuring that in a direction that serves a greater whole. So I think that we all have leadership characteristics within us. Some of us, you know, born with a little bit more than others, but all of us are really learning how to cultivate more leadership within ourselves so that we can come together as a collective, um, because we're much stronger together than we are with this idea of individualism.
1: There's a dance there, right? I'm just going back to what you just said around, you know, there's a framework. One of the, and you, I, for me, you hit the nail on the head there. One of the pivotal roles of leadership is provision of framework. This is the framework that I have for this organization. This is our roadmap forwards. I don't know what twists and turns there's going to be along the way, and I don't know what's going to be needed, but this is my framework. And then if you can build a framework, the next part of the dance is, as you said, okay, what wants to form here? And whenever I've slipped up as a leader, whenever I've wasted energy and time and good talent, it has been because I have been determined to make my vision happen versus stepping back and going, what wants to form here? What naturally is coming to be here and what naturally is trying to burn away and how much energy am I wasting trying to put out every single fire and you know damp down the other fires that I don't want that are naturally trying to build something else. How do you do that dance? What does you know, what does that dance look like in its best sense and its best self? The dance between the provision of framework and structure and the watching of what wants to form?
0: It's such a good question. And I think it's it's not an easy answer because it's there's just no straightforward answer to the question you know it's it's about feeling our way through it you now coming back again to the intelligence of our bodies that our bodies are processing so much more information than our verbal minds can shape a narrative around and it takes tremendous amount of courage to say Hmm. All right. This was, you know, this vision felt super clear a year ago or two years ago, we've been moving towards it, but my goodness, as we've been moving towards it, we've been learning so many different facets and it feels like it's now taking a different direction. And so you have these moments as you're coming together in any business venture that are choice points. Um, and We have to be willing to fail. You know, we have to be willing to um, explore something and see how it feels, see what kind of traction we're getting, see what kind of, you know, evidence we're getting. I often, when I'm sitting in those choice points myself, I often say to myself, okay, this feels like a really difficult decision. What would I do if I knew that I couldn't get it wrong? You know, what would I do if I, if no matter what direction this takes, even if it doesn't work out and, you know, I have to dissolve the business or whatever it is, you know, if I knew that in the end I was safe and I couldn't really get it wrong, I'm going to learn something. I'm going to show up to build important relationships. I'm going to respect people along the way. Mm I'm going to keep gathering tools and resources, no matter what direction I go in. So what would I do if I couldn't get it wrong? And that often always brings me right back to listening to the intuition of my body. And, you know, then I sort of try to always bring my team into that. Anybody who's helping and supporting me with, with that, whether it be family or business colleagues, um, or, or my close friendships, and as I'm exploring and and discussing something with them, you know, just letting my body guide me to, hmm, how is this really feeling you now? And do I have the courage to listen? It takes a tremendous amount of courage to slow down and listen. It's so much easier for us to want to just tick the box off um, and say, you know, here, I accomplished this goal, that goal, this goal, and that goal. But to keep evaluating as we go, "Hmm, how, how is this feeling? Because we're not living in a stagnant, you know, universe that everything goes in a straight line. We're living in a highly evolving, creative, um, sometimes very chaotic environment that's shifting underneath our feet all the time. So I think the answer to that question for me is always coming back to trusting in the greater intelligence of our bodies to navigate mm. the unknown.
1: One of the most powerful questions I learned to ask as a leader a lot over the many years was, what does your gut say? You know, you'd, you'd have people come into the office, you'd get phone calls and it would always be a story about a situation. This has happened and this has happened. And this person feels this way and this is going to happen next. And this is, and at first when I was greener, you would jump straight in and you'd, you'd try and fix it, right? Like you put out the fire, you try and fix it. You'd get a sense of, oh my goodness, you know, I know what I'm doing. You get this incredible rush of I can, I can do this. I can fix this. But as time went on, I would notice the shift when you just simply answer it with what does your gut say? And then you'd get this shift in state with the other person from the story, from you know the thinking mind, to a place of almost stillness because they have to stop and check themselves. They have to stop and go, okay. Um, I don't know. I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought about that. And then, then the answer that came back was invariably a better answer than any answer I could have given, because I haven't been closely associated enough with the situation to have a gut feel. So to, to use that question and to use it for ourselves, with ourselves, when faced with those tough leadership moments of, you know, what does your gut say? And I love that dimension of if I couldn't get it wrong, it was impossible to get this wrong. Yeah. What would I do?
0: Yeah. When we have that web of safety and web of like consistency and security in our relationships, we cultivate, you know, a sense of. Community, a sense of village with each other that somebody has my back. You know, somebody cares about me no matter what happens, somebody has my back. And when that's in place, we can venture into the world and we can explore and we can fall down and scrape our knee. And, you know, we know that someone's going to be there on the other side of it. And that enables us to be able to not strive to just get it right or to be perfect or to get to that end goal, but to open ourselves to really go on a phenomenal journey of learning and exploration and, uh, to let that continue to inform us about how, we develop a life that enables us to thrive.
1: Next question I have is in relation to, to your journey. And before, before we came on air, we had a conversation. I asked you how you were and you gave me like the the brightest, sunniest, most genuine, I am amazing. (laughs) And it was one of the best answers to the question I've had for, for many, many weeks and when we got into why you know you were you were telling me that you've had a cochlear implant and your hearing has gone from you know from single digits percentage to up to 89% And how, you know, what an incredible difference that would have made to your life. But the, the thing that really struck me when you said it, and I think we talked about it briefly, was distractions, was you had learnt over the past 10 years to really tune into how your body was feeling, how your gut instinct about what somebody was trying to say, by the vibration of them, by the odd words you could pick up. You'd really tuned into that place. And then all of a sudden... the the blinkers come off and every single sound can reach you. Every single noise, every bird chirping, you you know, every single distracting sound can reach you. Has there been a parallel there? And this is a bit of a convoluted question. Has there been a parallel there? Have you learned anything new? Let's start there. Have you learned anything new about how to tune out distractions and stay connected? with that place of view that's tuned into other people by having that very distinct experience, by having no distractions in an auditory sense and suddenly having so many?
0: That's a really great question. I think in some ways I've been really blessed to have lost so much of my hearing for a large portion of my, you know, life. It's been I've been navigating the world through body language, through lip reading, through intuitive senses, through vibrations, and that has enabled me to notice things that maybe most people might not tune into. And it's been hugely helpful to me uh, to be able to connect both with animals and with people. It's also been really difficult and really exhausting. You know, I don't, I don't do well in busy, noisy social environments. And when there's multiple conversations going on, I have no idea which person's lips to read. And by the time I look around the group of people, I realize I've missed whatever was said, you know, so it, it it can be really challenging. Uh, and it can also be really isolating and lonely to, to lose your hearing. But now, as I shared with you this past year, I. I sort of was reaching the end of the road. It was either change my my life into signing for the deaf community and change, um, you know, my whole work into the deaf community, which would have been a wonderful adventure, but my my world and my universe has sort of been um, been built and 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 operating in the hearing world, and so it would have been a very very dramatic and significant shift for me, and I sort of thought, okay, well you know, here I am, I'm at a choice point. Um, and my hearing is gone. So I either give this surgery a try and see what happens. And, or I go, you know, and start signing for, and start learning sign language and, and, and change the way I do my work. And, um, it, it ended up being a pretty easy decision because I figured, well, if the surgery doesn't turn out that well, I still have signing, right. i there, there's I, there's nowhere left for me to go. This This is the end of the road. So the surgery was hugely successful, far beyond my wildest imagination. And the sounds, um, are incredibly strange. So it is a significant adjustment. It's very mechanical, very tinny, um, you know, everyone sounds like a different variation of Alvin and the chickmunks. The voices are very tiny and it's, it's, it's quite a significant adjustment, but, um, I prepared myself for that. So, you know, I talked to a few people and I prepared myself that this was going to be a big change. And, and when it happened, you know, I can remember my friend who was with me at the day that they activated the, the, um, the device, we, we got in the car and I was just kind of moving really slowly and taking in everything that was happening in my environment. Cause as you said, there was just so much sound coming in. I turned over the, the car and I was sort of staring at the air vent for a minute. And she realized that I was listening. I was like taking in the, the sound of the air conditioning. And she says to me, what does that sound like to you? And I just looked at her and I said, well it sounds like a jet plane is taking off <laughs> you know like the volume of, of it just sounded completely overwhelming and she was like you might be the only person i know who would say something like that so calmly <laughs> you know <laughs> so yes the beginning was was radically overwhelming and to answer your question i knew that I was going to be facing a time of transition and like all transitions, we have to be ready to sit in transformational tension. So I basically invited my body to say like, yep, this is going to be a big change. There's going to be some parts around it that are going to feel frustrating and overwhelming and uncomfortable and that's okay that's okay to feel that way um and let's just stay in the tension and see what happens let's just continue to stay in the tension and stay curious so because i have learned to do that and i was very intentional going into this process there were plenty of times where i thought oh my gosh it would be so nice to just switch this off and go into silence and And instead, I just held that moment of the body is in a state of overwhelm. You know, I feel like there's so much sound. It's catapulting me through the stratosphere. Everything's tense. My body is in that tense state of activation. It's totally overwhelming. And I'm just going to recognize I have the capacity to do this. You know, I have the capacity to be in this tension and just feel what's happening in my body and recognize it's doing exactly what it needs to do there's nothing wrong. Yes, this is what the state of overwhelm feels like. And there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with my body. And it, it knows how to eventually begin to navigate this experience. And so because I was willing to give it that sort of focus and trust and stay in that transformational tension, suddenly the sounds I really wanted to hear rose above the chaos. You know, the thing that I wanted to have an emotional connection to, what I wanted to feel a sense of connection to, began to pop out above all the other sounds. And it's been just a delightful year of developing the, you know, the attention and the focus Mm -hmm. to do that.
1: There's so many parallels there. I think that experience that you've just gone through is a very intense version of how many people feel at a level at the moment, you know, just, can I just switch it off? There's so much sound, there's so much noise, there's so much happening. Can is Where's the button? Can I dial it down and switch it off? And there's that choice point to switch it off, step back, stop showing up, hide, which sometimes is rest and reset. And that's great. And there's the other choice point, which again, you always have such incredible language, the, the transformational tension. Can I sit with the transformational tension long enough? Can I get curious enough about it? Can I hold back my fear that there's something wrong either with me or with everything or with the world at large long enough to sit with the tension and watch it shift itself, watch it move itself, watch watch which voices and elements start rising for me, start catching my attention and where my curiosity takes me. I just think that you, that, that journey you have just had is a beautiful experience, a metaphor of something that we can all kind of drill into and take pieces from. Well, before, before I let you go, and thank you for sharing, by the way, I know that it's been a deeply personal experience for you. Um, before I let you go, what's the one thing for anyone out there who's wondering, you know, can we Can we create a healthy herd? You know, if we're we're struggling to create healthy herds within our own own communities right now, within our own countries right now, how do we create a healthy global herd? Is that so far off being possible that we should forget about it? Do we need to fly to Mars and start again? (laughs) Which is what it feels like. (laughs) The general consensus is sometimes right now. Um, Can we create a healthy herd right here, right now, on the planet we live in? with the global community that we have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Again, I think it starts with creating that sense of safety. So recognizing that we are in a time of deep reckoning with a lot of, you know, I I would call them trauma patterns. Um, and it's going to feel really uncomfortable. Um, we're starting to wake up, we're starting to realize, and we're starting to express a lot of suppressed anger on, on all different topics and, and fronts. So allowing ourselves to be patient with this time frame, I think developing a safe relationship, getting curious about what you need to be in this time of tension and still, still feel a sense of safety. And sometimes we don't know that until we really sit with the question and it changes and evolves over time. But just beginning to ask, like, what do I need to feel like it's okay to be me in this moment? Either what kind of permission do I need to give myself or who might I need to surround myself with or what kind of books might I need to read or, um, you know, things I want to choose to listen to or tune into. Help me feel like, okay, despite everything that's going on right now, I don't know how to fix it. I don't, you know, I don't know that there is a way to fix it, but let me just simplify this to what would enable me to feel safe. And when we start with that, we then want to take the next step, which is, can I connect? Can I cultivate one safe relationship? Can I start to cultivate one safe relationship with someone who really gets me, who I'm willing to deepen that sense of intimacy with? The more that we do that, whether it's in a business environment, um, friendship, uh, romantic partnership, or, you know, family, when we start to develop that space of safety within ourselves and feel that sense of that somebody has our back, our nervous system settle down. And when our nervous system settle down, creativity and engagement come back online. You know, so, so right now we're in, a, we're in a sort of a global state of flight, fight, and then often freeze. And if we can focus on cultivating just for ourselves, that sense of safety and a safe relationship, we're going to begin to have a domino effect of getting curious about how we empathize and connect with each other again
1: those two words creativity and curiosity that hold the feel like they hold the keys to so many things so many better places so many magical places that exist and we have the capacity to tap into right now but that we can't do in fight freeze flight all those f words including many more f words
0: <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so true <laughs>
1: as Brené Brown says fucking first times (laughs) yes yes thank you thank you for thank you for being you and your time and your sharing it's been such a pleasure to have you back um one of the, the things I love the most about asking people back onto the podcast is that I just I get to completely drop my agenda I, I had, you know, 15 questions here for you. I think I asked too, Um, because I don't need to set up the foundations of the conversation anymore. They already exist. And so we can just go in whatever place your curiosity and my curiosity takes us. So thank you for, for letting me do that.
0: Yes. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to spend some time with you and to dive into these juicy conversations. I really appreciate it thanks so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this
1: episode and have seized hold of at least one tool idea or mindset that will help you start raising your own level of influence now for those of you who want to take the next step in your journey or would just love a roadmap to becoming the most influential voice idea or brand in your space then i have good news You can now download the latest updated version of my ebook, The Influencer Code, from my website, juliemasters.com. Also, there's a link in the show notes. Just pop in your email address, and I promise I will not spam you But it is jam packed full of ideas, tools and case studies that I have come across in my now 20 plus years of doing this work. Not to mention the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found to be hands down the most valuable when it comes to immediately lifting your ability to make an impact. Download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope it makes a massive difference in both your career and your business thank you always to my co-founder and the main brain behind this podcast, Lauren Kelly. You kick my butt in all the right ways. Thank you for making it happen. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode.